0725, you are with SAFM 104 to 107. This is the JSB, the Jets at Breakfast. I'm Michelle Constant. We are through with you till 10 o'clock. We are turning to our COVID questions. Every week, people have different questions and we're looking at different issues as we move along. And I see that some of you have already started sending your questions in. Professor Helen Rees is on the line with us. You are welcome to WhatsApp us your questions 0614-104-107. 0614-104-107. And you can also SMS us on 41391. 41391. Prof Rees, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. You have certainly been having a, a fiery time and you've been surfing great waves, have you not? <laughs> well, look, I think in the context of a pandemic, I think we have to all be realistic that there are the, the communities are frightened, that yes. there are demands out there for vaccines, that people don't necessarily understand why there are delays, for example, in getting vaccine rollouts going. Um, so we've got to be able to answer those questions and we've got to take we've got to be able to take some tough knocks. Um, but we've got to come back and actually be able to answer those questions for communities. Well, we appreciate that uh, you do come back and answer the questions. It's really something extremely valuable for our listeners. Certainly for me, I feel like I learn an enormous amount every time. Um, Prof, I want to start with the question of um, there's there's this noise that I'm hearing, not not necessarily here in South Africa, but internationally about a new virus which is coming out of South America called Lambda, which is not a new virus, a new variant of COVID. Is this can you talk to us about this? Yes, um, and you're right. There's a lot of uh, um, questions and concerns about it. So the, the Lambda variant was first detected in Peru in December of last year. Um, and now it's been detected in 31 countries. Um, to date, we haven't detected it here. Um, but in Peru, for example, they're seeing um, increasing in numbers of cases and hospitalization. They have the same problem as many countries in that their health services are really, really under pressure. Uh, so, so that is the concern that they're seeing increasing numbers quite rapidly and health service pressure and then deaths associated with it. But as we say, at the moment, it's not what we call a variant of concern. It's being looked at by the World Health Organization. Um, and uh, <clears throat> we'll, we'll obviously keep an eye on it. And because we have a very good monitoring system here in South Africa, we can, we'll be able to see if it, if it does come to the country. But we haven't seen it here or in other African countries yet. So currently, the virus that we're dealing with is the Delta variant in this country. That is the most um, rapidly um, shifting one and contagious one. That's exactly right. And the Delta variant is now the the dominant global variant. It's really taken over from in the UK from the Alpha variant and here from the Beta variant. Um, And it's now dominant in South Africa as well. And the, the, the issue about the Delta variant that I'm sure everyone's heard is that it's much more transmissible than the Beta variant or the Alpha variant. That means that it spreads more quickly. And when you get very rapid spread, the numbers go up quickly and the numbers being admitted to hospitals go up very steeply, which is what we're seeing in Gauteng at the moment. And when the numbers go up very steeply in health services, the health services come under strain and you start to see increase in, in, in the numbers of deaths, obviously. 
We've got a question. It's actually a great one from Kentosh in the Eastern Cape saying, Hi, Michelle. Now that it's confirmed that the COVID virus is floating in the air, is that the reason why it spreads so fast? Because it can enter our eyes and obviously masks don't cover our eyes. Um, it's the, 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 it can certainly um, affect the eyes, but there's still the major route of entry is going to be through the, the, the nose and through in breathing it in. It is, it is he's quite right, the, the, the listener, it is in the air and it's transmitted through the air. And that's why mask wearing is so incredibly, incredibly important, but covering the nose. So the mask wearing just around your mouth is not going to do it. You have to cover the nose as well. Um, and and it is spreading fast. It's more transmissible in the air, we believe, than the, the previous beta variant. Uh, it also means that being in a contained space, you know, and it's cold now, so doors and windows are closed, mm. being in a crowded space, and this is one of the problems with winter, it, it really is, is an opportunity for this virus to spread. So if you're in a taxi, I know it's difficult, but if if you can ask people to open the windows, keep your masks right over your nose, um, that is an incredibly important prevention measure. Felicity wants to know, um, dear Prof. Reese, can you please explain the new side effect rate of Pfizer vaccine with regards to inflammation of the heart? Yes, this is something that's been um, picked up initially in the United States. Um, this is called myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart muscle, and also pericarditis, which is inflammation of the, the sac around the heart. Um, what's being picked up is that particularly younger men um, have had the symptoms of myocarditis, which is the chest pain, shortness of breath. However, it's extremely, extremely rare. Yeah. Um, and I think we have to emphasize this. It's associated with both the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine, but extremely, extremely rare. I mean, they've rolled out millions and millions of cases, and they're looking at sort of about 40 cases uh, per per million and and the vast majority of these are not severe at all self-limiting and get better but it is it is a recognized um, adverse what we call a side effect or adverse event that's associated with those two vaccines so it's something that we would look out for it does seem to be more common in young men um, and and so in that group form would be particularly looking out for it but it's very 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 rare and Mm. the benefit of those two vaccines far exceeds any potential risk. Brilliant. Um, Thank you so much uh, for asking that question, Felicity. Flora in Brixton says, I'm allergic to anti-tetanus or horse serum, whatever. Horse serum anti-tetanus. And I was told that I cannot have the vaccine. What should I do? Well, it will depend on which vaccine is is on offer. That's a a very important question. Um, And that's something that you would need to um, I thought we would we would need to get to a specialist opinion because what we would need to look at is what is your allergic response be? What sort of vaccine was it? Yeah. And do any of the components of those vaccines are any of those components in any of the vaccines that are available in, in at the moment in South Africa? So that's a, an important technical question and it's one where I would talk to your GP or the clinic and, and I think that we would need to then really go into that, your history, really understand what, what has happened here um, and then see which of the vaccines would be appropriate for you. It's It doesn't follow that because you've had a reaction to one vaccine, 
that you're going to have a reaction to the other vaccines. And remember yeah. that each of the vaccines we have here in South Africa are on what we call different platforms. They're made differently. They've got different ingredients, if you like. So it might well be that if there is a problem, that one would be much more suited to you. So it seems that the best thing would be to um, uh, really speak to a doctor and not go and just go to get vaccinated because they may, for example, have the Pfizer or one of the others and then you can't, you, you won't, you know, you wouldn't be able to then get vaccinated. Yes, I think in this case, it's, it's, it's very, very unusual that people are anyway allergic to mm. the components of vaccines. That's not common. I mean, side effects is not the same as an allergy. So, you know, sore arm, aches and pains, you know, that that is not the same as an allergic reaction. Yeah. But it would be important to go and really go through this, look at what was it that triggered you being told that you have an allergy, which yeah. vaccine were you given, what was the, what are the components of to look at the components of the two vaccines on offer. It's not something that if you went into a vaccine center that they would be able to quickly answer. It really does need to have more specific investigation. Okay. Lynn wants to know, if you come into contact with a COVID-positive person, how long after exposure would you then take to show the symptoms if you were then positive yourself? Well, this is about the incubation period. So if you come into contact with somebody and and the the risky contacts are those where you're not wearing a mask, where you're in close contact or you're in a confined space, those would be considered um, and and that you've been with the person, say, for more than 15 minutes. Those sorts of things would make it a high-risk contact. So the incubation period can, can vary. It can be as little as three days, three to five days. But it can go on up to 14 days. Very unusually would it go on beyond that. Um, uh, so, so that's why we, when you have had this high-risk exposure, we ask people to isolate and be kept very, very careful. Um, and for um, a minimum of, of 10 to 14 days would be the, the uh, um, recommendation. So there's a question here about the long tail of COVID. And I'm interested in that because what... Um, how does the long tail work? And if you have the long tail over six months or nine months, do you, are you still positive at that point? So those are two different things. There's the, the long COVID that we're seeing um, reported quite frequently, and obviously the, the, the countries that have got very strong reporting and monitoring systems like the UK have been sort of in the forefront of, of really being able to follow up patients. That's, that, that's a clinical condition Um, and it doesn't it it isn't related to whether you have the virus or not most people uh, will and and this is why we we say that if you from the time that you get symptoms most people will not be testing positive certainly 10 days after your symptoms have started uh, uh, will not be infectious rather sometimes you can have a positive test but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have got live virus and you're shedding live virus so that's why we say that if you've got symptoms, uh, that from the time that your symptoms start, that you should wait a, a 10 days after that. If you've still got symptoms, then some people would, would want to then see if uh, get tested and see if they're still positive, um, because some people do remain positive for longer. Um, but that, that would be the recommendation. The different thing is this long COVID, which is a clinical condition yeah. that's been widely reported. And it's a whole variety of different symptoms. It can be fatigue or 
um, headache or um, brain fog is something that people quite often talk about. Yeah. Exercise intolerance, you know, used to be able to run, can't now walk up a hill without getting very short of breath. Yeah. For most people, it will, you know, many people will still not feel great some weeks after, but for most people, they will have a full recovery. But if it goes on and on, this is definitely something that is now recognized, and you really do need to get uh, some clinical advice. Donald wants to know... Um what would happen if the Lambda variant arrives? Would it dominate or take over from the Delta variant? That's a very good question. And the answer is at the moment, uh, we, we, we don't know. It does seem that the Delta variant worldwide seems to be the most aggressive in terms of taking over. In the UK, it's taking over from their Alpha variant. Here, it's taken over from the Beta variant. And we're seeing that sort of pattern in, the, in, the, in other countries in the African region. So we, the answer is we wouldn't know, but that's exactly why the genomics network are monitoring this kind of thing. I mean, one of the other things, of course, is that as we look not only at which variant it is, but you also need to know what are the characteristics. As we've said, the Delta variant is more transmissible. We also ask questions to say, do we see different changes in the pattern of disease? With the Delta variant, it seems that the symptoms, the predominant symptoms have changed somewhat. So things like a running nose and a sort of head cold and sinusitis seems much more common with the Delta variant than we saw with the Beta variant. And everyone knows that symptom of lacking taste and lacking smell seems less common with the Delta variant. So people will look at what, what sort of symptoms do we get? And in particular, do we think any new variant is increasing the severity of illness? Are we seeing more people getting very sick? Are we seeing different age groups getting very sick? Yeah. So all of that would be monitored. But at the moment, good question, but we, we, we couldn't answer that. Um, but as we say at the moment, we haven't detected the Lambda variant in South Africa. We have got a voice note for you here. Let's go to that. Constance, ask your guest for me, please. My niece contracted COVID, but... Uh uh, she was supposed to cover, I think, but she's got COVID now, but this doesn't display any symptoms like um, temperature and fever and stuff, but she's uh, very sick and she's even on oxygen bottle. So how, how is that possible? So <clears throat> a little bit difficult to hear, but I think it was asking that she didn't have fever, that she didn't have some symptoms, if, if I heard correct, Michelle. Yeah. She didn't have fever and she didn't, but now she's needing oxygen. Um, so so the, the, the thing that we obviously worry about, and it's the big dominating thing about why COVID is such a huge concern, is the effect on the lungs in the first instance. That's the commonest sort of early symptom that really gets people into trouble. Difficulty yeah. breathing, difficulty maintaining oxygen levels in your body. Um, but what the symptoms are that precede uh, getting to that point will vary enormously. For some people, it will be aches, pains, headache. Others, as I say, it will be congestion, running nose and cough. So that there's no rule that says you have to have a fever and you have to have this and you have to have that. You'll find it varies. And I'm sure many people will have heard stories of, you know, got a, got a positive test. He or she was didn't seem too bad, some aches and pains, and suddenly they deteriorated, whereas others, will be a very different, much longer history. So there's no rule about how this virus is going to affect you, but it is this breathing problem and the effect on the lungs um, uh, and the heart, but the lungs in particular, that, that is the thing that we monitor. You know, um, 
Sig has asked, can the human lung repair the damage inflicted by COVID? Uh, the answer is for most people, yes. The vast majority of people who've, who've had difficulty breathing, who've you know, had a horrible cough, feel this tightness in their chest. The answer is yes, people will get over it and they'll go back to their, their pre-COVID um, health level. But for people who've had a very, very serious disease, you know, they've been ventilated, sometimes the lung damage can be permanent uh, because uh, once you get to that point, you know, there's the, the lungs are can be very compromised and the inflammation that has occurred in the lungs can cause permanent damage. But that's one end of the spectrum. For the vast majority of people, even if you have cough and a tight chest and so on, you will uh, recover completely. So we've got an interesting question. Someone um, saying, oh, Chandra, saying, good morning, Michelle. Thank you for engaging a specialist. I've had my second Pfizer jab a couple of weeks ago. I'm 65. I'm having spells of rapid heartbeat and short breath. Could this be a side, beat, a side effect of the vaccine? Well, we've, we've just talked about this very, very, very rare event of, of, of myocarditis. Yes. Um, but it's, as I say, it's not usually in the 65-year-olds, interestingly. It's in the young men um, in their 20s. And, um, so, but if you're getting that, it could be absolutely nothing to do with the vaccine whatsoever. It could be something else. At 65, I mean, people in their 60s unfortunately get things. Um, I think it's worth getting yourself checked out um, because if you are having sort of discomfort in your chest and you're, you're feeling that your heart is, is beating in a funny way, that's definitely something that should be looked into. Whether or not you've had the vaccine, it's worth getting that checked and just getting your heart checked. We've got a couple of voice notes. Let's go into them. Morning. I have a question here and I've been confused for a while now. I um, just want to find out, does, does it happen or has it ever happened that the one contract both uh, variants, the, the one that has been dominating South Africa and this new one. And if yes, what will happen to, to both vi viruses? Will the other, will the, the new one kill the older one? Or what will happen to, to them? That's the Melton. So. Hi, could I ask, if I had COVID last year, should I get the vaccine this year? Jason Port Elizabeth. Okay, two of them. Geez, that first one is fascinating. I mean, I can almost see two little vac two COVID viruses battling it out in your body. Is that even possible? Um, well, what, what happens, it, it doesn't battle it out in your body. What it does is it battles it out in the community. Uh. And what we've seen is because the Delta is, is much more effective at transmitting from person to person, it's basically, uh, it, it's, it's pushed out the beta variant. So, so when you're exposed, the chances are that you're going to be exposed only to, to, to one variant. So, so you have both viruses being exposed at the same time at the moment now in South Africa because the Delta variant has really taken over. It's highly, highly, highly unlikely, highly unlikely. Um, you know, I think it's, it's just probably something that we, we wouldn't see. Most people will have an exposure to one virus um, from the air, and that is the one that will be infecting them. So, so it wouldn't, you wouldn't get a sort of, we wouldn't get the two viruses battling out in your body. But, um, but what we, we do see is that um, if you get the virus 
and this is, this is a very, very rare situation. If you're not able to clear the virus, the virus can start to mutate uh, in your body. Now, this, these are a few case studies that are very, very unusual. And we've seen a couple around the world, one in South Africa, that, that for people who can't clear the virus, perhaps because they're immunosuppressed, then the virus itself can start to change in your body and start to do this mutation that we see in the community. It starts to do that in the body as well. So the answer is um, that you, you, most people are going to have one virus that will infect them and vast majority of people will be clearing that virus themselves. Now, wow. the other one was, it's a very, very good question. People who've had COVID before, should they get the vaccine? And the answer is absolutely yes. Um, we don't know which virus you would have had. If it was the first wave, it might have been the original virus that, that was here. If it was the second wave, it might have been the beta variant. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, and now, of course, Delta. But if it was last year, it would have been one of those two. Um, and we wouldn't know, we wouldn't know routinely which one you'd had. But importantly, what we absolutely do know is that people who have had an infection that we then give um, a vaccine to have an incredibly strong immune response. It's probably the best combination you can have is to have antibodies from an earlier infection. Then you get given a vaccine. Your immune system says, whoa, I've seen this before, kicks into overdrive, and it'll give you a very, very strong um, protection. So the answer is yes, you should have the vaccine. Anyone who's had a previous infection should have the vaccine because you don't know whether those antibodies that you've got from a natural infection will protect you against the Delta variant. And secondly, because you will get a big immune boost from getting that vaccine and there are not bigger safety issues that one would need to worry about um, if you've got a vaccine. We've got one more voice note for you and then we'll close off. Hi, my name is Tobias and I uh, just had one question. I just wanted to know, is it possible for a person to have COVID and uh, show no symptoms at all? I mean, nothing at all. Because I had a few friends that uh, worked with me that tested positive, but um, they never showed any symptoms at all. I just wanted to know that. Thank you. Yes, very good question. And I mean, this is something else as we get new variants that we look at is what percentage of people are likely to have asymptomatic disease. Um, and the answer is, yes, it is certainly possible. Um, we've seen this from the beginning when, when the, the, the Wuhan strain was first identified, that quite a lot of people in the community will have asymptomatic disease, no symptoms. Um, and the younger you are, the more likely that is. So, um, and this is one of the, the issues that you know, we're, we're thinking about with schools, is that particularly younger people were, could be asymptomatic and just going about their normal business. Um, uh, and, and that's, of course, the risk there is that, that you can spread because you don't know you're ill. Um, so the answer is yes. And, and we think that, you know, it'll depend on the, the variant and on the study. But we think that, you know, 40, 50, 60 percent, it'll, it'll vary in different studies. But a significant percentage of people will be asymptomatic and younger people more likely to be. Prof. Helen Rees, we've got tons and tons of questions, people. We will definitely go back to this again next week. Prof. Rees, thank you so much for joining us. You really do uh, add uh, some great calmness to the issues and deeper understanding as well. We appreciate that enormously.